2: Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's Corner 3, presented, as always, by our friends at Mechdine, the Mechdyne Corporation. We got a big episode here today. Fire up the grill, Scott Christopherson. We've got Cyclone guard Caleb Grill joining us later on. A uh, Really good conversation with Caleb. Obviously, he's had an interesting perspective of Iowa State basketball, being with TJ at two different stops and being at Iowa State in two different stops, so it's pretty cool.
0: And he's kind of living through the the new NIL you know, era that we're in, too. So he, he's he got some interesting things to share with that as well.
2: Yeah, so that's where we're going to start today's podcast is on the NIL thing. Uh, Scott Kristofferson, I think you would have been a millionaire if you'd played college basketball in 2022. I don't know about that. Maybe not in year right. one, but I think after year, year two or three, you would have been getting close to where you've got seven figures in the bank account.
0: Oh, gosh. And I can tell you, I wasn't that good of a player. So that, that I mean, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Other than uh, I didn't deserve to be making six figures playing basketball when I was 21 or 22 years old. So this, uh, you know, we talked a week ago. And it was pretty new. And I think kind of a splash of cold water to, to my face. I mean, I didn't even think about Tyrese leaving. And now having a week to kind of, you know, listen to some of the things that you're, you're hearing, seeing some of the things that are out there on social media. I, I mean, I, I am blown away at the amount of money that is getting thrown at college athletes and like not lottery picks or first round NFL draft picks, like good players that are far from great. It's, it's been a, an eye-opening week I, I realized how naive I was about some of this stuff uh you know week or two ago
2: yeah and I think my thing that uh you know like don't get okay I'm trying to think of the best way to put this I'm 100 percent for kids making their money like yep, I'm all for it I've just like the only thing I have an issue with and I kind of wrote about this last week is the uh wild west aspect of it you know I have a lot of concern that right now, like is recruiting, even recruiting anymore? I don't, I'm not sure that it is, you know, right. About Who's going to give me the best deal. Well, it's yeah. It's, it's recruiting like professional sports, sports works, right? Yeah. It's like NBA free agency. And, but again, and we've kind of talked about this. I think we talked about this a little bit last week. It's NBA, NBA free agency, but the NBA has rules. There are no rules. you know it's just it's every man for themselves out here and and I think the longer that goes on there's going to be more and more people or more and more schools that find out that it's not viable for them to be in that mix you know but like at what point does that break is there a point where it's like this is not going to work. We have to figure out a way to make it work for all 353 schools. Or are we going to break away a certain number of them? Are you going to put a salary cap on and you're going to do all that kind of stuff? Like there's so many things here that just don't make any sense about the way this is being done.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, and there's a lot of questions that I've toggled with over the last week. First off, who would be, who would be responsible for making like legally, who has the authority to make rules to regulate this?
2: Well, I think the the key you put in there is legally, because right now I don't think the NCAA does uh, have the legal standing to be able to make any rules. So,
0: I mean, would it have to come from cause it was the Supreme court decision that decided it would have to be,
2: I think they'd have to make a law. Like, I I don't know what, what else there is to be done at this point, you know? And I, I think Other, the only other option I can think of is if the, the Power Five conferences came together and said, we're leaving the NCAA and we're going to go do our own thing. And then this is the way that we're going to distribute money and we're going to basically do revenue sharing. You know, like, just like what they do with the, the NBA and the NBA Players Union and you form a college athletics players union, you know.
0: Because I, I do think that there should be, I, again, I know there's a whole legal side of this that I don't understand, but there should be a somebody should, and it maybe doesn't even have to be the NCAA, but there should be a committee responsible for creating some rules and regulations regarding or surrounding this, in my opinion, or I think that the pageantry of college sports, which I think is kind of the secret sauce of college sports will be gone very quickly. And I think I said this last week, but there's a reason that nobody watches the G League. And it's not because they don't have really talented players and good teams. But if you if you just want to watch the best athletes in the world who get paid the most play, you'll turn on the NBA. I think once you once you lose that pageantry of college sports and the charm and romance that it has among fan bases like in Iowa State or, you know, and I I mean, even Iowa, I wouldn't think is going to be able to compete. For football players and basketball players with the blue bloods of the world like you start you start just kind of turning off these you know really cool fan bases over this and I, I just yeah you'll have like 25 or so programs in these sports that are relevant and everybody else I think will just kind of check out
2: and that's just what that's really sad I think you know like it just is yeah. really unfortunate that that Feels it feels today like that's almost inevitable to me, and I and I think that that's really unfortunate. And I do think things can evolve, though, don't you? I, I oh, mean, yeah, I, guess... I think they absolutely can. But it, who steps up and does it? Yeah, that's that's and that's the the you know million dollar question. And who does it? And also, let me ask you this: Who does it and worries about the people that aren't the top? Because like Greg Sankey, who's the commissioner of the SEC, he doesn't care about everybody. He cares about his, his bag and his group of schools, his bag, you know? So who is it that's going to be the one that sits in that room and says, Hey, we're killing each other by trying to be, do whatever we're doing here. And it's only going to hurt everybody. So we have to figure out a way to do this. That's going to benefit everybody for the sake of college athletics. Cause right now they're not making decisions for the sake of college athletics. Right. It's,
0: I think this is a very short-term approach that will have some long-term consequences that if they don't get ironed out, will be, I mean, a large portion of college athletics, as far as the public uh, caring about them, I think that will evaporate. You know, I, I, one thing I kept thinking about as we've been texting back and forth is like, what is the purpose of NIL? Like, what do we, what, what did we want to accomplish with all of this? Because when I was thinking about it, it's like, you know, the idea that college athletics is just this, you know, wholesome not-for-profit thing it, that went out the window a long time ago. you know, everybody's making, not everybody, a lot of these schools are making a lot of money and the players are making none and you know, they were handicapped by the transfer rule, which is no longer, I think that's good. And now the NIL thing, like, hey, they've got an opportunity to, to make some money. I still, there's still parts of me that very much believe that. I guess I just naively thought, you know, it wouldn't be guys getting millions of dollars that, and I'm not trying to cut anybody down, but in my mind, unless that guy's an NBA lottery pick, it's just hard for me to understand, <laughs> giving them seven figures, to play at your school for one year.
2: Especially when, you know, the people who might be bankrolling that, like what do they gain out of it? (laughs) Right. Outside of some bragging rights, maybe, you know, like that's just, I, the mental math of these things. And don't get me wrong. Like someone makes a million is going to get a million dollars because that's what somebody thinks that they're worth. That's capitalism. Like, I don't know. You know, yeah.
0: what th- there's a part of that, that you, that is hard to argue with.
2: Yeah. And so like, I get that, like I'm not going to sit here and say that there aren't kids out there who are worth that amount of money. I think that my you're issue, worth what somebody is willing to pay you 100%. My issue is, is when you've got these people, you know, if you're the university of Oregon, you've got Phil Knight, who's worth $40.8 billion. Phil Knight mm-hmm. can afford to mess up on a lot of recruiting hits you know yep. like that, that's what i'm that's what i'm saying so it's like it just is it's just weird i think and we're just getting to a point where we need to rethink the entire structure of it because it's it's just gonna f- implode on itself i think
0: i yeah I, I think that if this gets too out of control it'll kind of eat itself mm-hmm. in many ways um and then there really won't be many NIL opportunities. You know, I, I think that finding some sort of a balance and I, I'm going to throw out the idea that I came up with is the best one I could think of. I'm not saying that it would stand up legally, but I think they should structure it and incentivize it for kids to be able to make more money, even to the point of not having a cap on what that is, the longer they stay in school. So for example, your first year at the school, you can make $25,000. That's your cap. Your second year, you can make 50. Your third and fourth year are uncapped. So if you're a third-year player at Iowa State, go make $2 million if somebody will give it to you. Or, But if you transfer, you have to start back over at one. So Because otherwise, you can always have the Phil Knights of the world basically say, hey, coach, which players do you want? you can just go with $40 billion and there's other schools that have guys like that. You can just go buy the best players. And as a 19 or 20 year old kid, as a 40 year old adult, you're going to take a million dollar, or a $2 million payday to go play at a different school. So I think trying to have some sort of regulation where we don't stop people from transferring, we give people an opportunity to take advantage of you know, the full benefit of capitalism, but we try to incentivize kids to stay at the program that they choose out of high school. I think that if they don't do something along those lines, this will never, they'll never get college sports back to what I think we would all like them to see. I know that there are probably lawyers that can beat down why that could never happen. But, um, that, that something like that to me would seem sensible.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that what's frustrating to a lot of people is that this, I think everything is put under the umbrella of NIL, but a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with NIL. It's not name image like this. It's show up and making, play for my team. Correct. That's, they're not making money
0: off of these guys from marketing dollars or anything like that. They're just, Caleb grill is a perfect example
2: of Caleb Grill's a perfect example of what NIL can do for you. I don't know how much Caleb made on the t-shirts. I guessing it was not life-changing money by any means, but Caleb has been able, you know, we helped him get, get it going and like get the thing set up, make a design for him and all that stuff. And Chris obviously was kind of the first one that was on the fire up the grill hole deal. And, you know. Now he was able to have some fun with it and make a little bit of money. And like, that's what I think NIL was meant for, you know, but it has gone to this whole other place where it's things with charities and like all this stuff. And this is nothing against what Iowa state's doing because I understand why they're doing it. And I get, I'm like, I'm hundred percent behind them. I think that they're doing the right thing for what Iowa state needs to do. I'm not saying Iowa state specifically the Iowa state boosters and the, we will collective. Like I, I get it. I'm not knocking that. But I'm saying that this is a, it's the entire structure of this is a farce. This is, that's not NIL. That's not what NIL was meant to be. And it's just, it's really unfortunate that it has become this so quickly because you had right at the beginning, you had some people that I imagine are not the shape, the, the, uh, I don't even know how to put this. They're very good at figuring out the way to work around things, you know? like giving every offensive lineman at the university of Texas, $50,000. That's not NIL. You're not in the, it's not name image and likeness it's just because you play a position at a certain school. And that's where the people who did that opened Pandora's box. And now a lot of people are involved in it and it's only going to continue to get worse because now you've got people that are in bidding wars and all these kinds of things. And it's just insanity. It's crazy. well
0: well, and, and think about it through TJ's perspective, you know, you're, you're trying to recruit kids. You're trying to do things. You're trying to adapt to the times, use the portal, but you're also, you know, you want to find kids in high school, get them in your program and develop them. Well, you know, you have Tyrese come in, have an outstanding freshman year. And then they, you know, now somebody just comes in and, you know, essentially will buy, buy the, you know, buy his uh, ability to play. How do you have any sort of confidence to recruit high school players? And you pointed this out last week. And now I think about it more and more. I think you're exactly right. Like what's the point of even recruiting high school players? You might as well literally just turn 80% of your team over every year in the portal, go out and get the best players you can that are the most experienced that can win now, because you know, if they have a good year, the following year odds are they're not going to come back Mm -hmm. because I mean, who's going to turn down, 500 grand or whatever it is. Some of these kids are getting to go and play it at some of these schools. So I don't think there's any question that in some form or fashion, there probably needs to be, you know, some small regulation, sensible regulation around this, where we allow kids to profit from the game that they play, but we try to get out of the whole, you know, every off season is a, a ginormous bidding war for the best players you can get.
2: Man, I was thinking about something the other day. One of the, you know, something we talked about earlier in the, during the season, we talked about the handshake lines. The handshake lines are the new unofficial visit. You, you go by, you, I saw a picture of Kendrick Davis, who was the American Athletic Conference Player of the Year and was one of the best guards in college basketball. After they lost in the AAC tournament, him getting a big hug from, from Penny Hardaway, and he was leaned down, he's crying, and Penny's got his hand on his back, consoling him. Guess where Kendrick Davis is playing basketball next year? Yeah, the University of Memphis for Penny Hardaway. Maybe
0: he was crying because he whispered 1.5 million in his ear. do not know.
2: Not a good enough <laughs> offer. Bring me to tears how, too. How are your parents? How are your parents? How, how's the family doing? Yeah, you know, we got we got the bag for you. Come on over. Cash or check. That's the new unofficial. That's the new unofficial visit is the handshake line. We got to do away with the handshake line. We're back on that one now, uh, man. It's, it's just. And, and I do, I do think that a year from
0: now, you know, there's a lot of things that will play out. I don't know. I, I go back and forth between having like regulation and having, you know, basically people come in and set the rules and, and, and then also saying, you know, some of this stuff will, people will sober up after a period of time. But I, I do think you make a valid point when you've got, you know, literally billionaires who have, you know, deep ties to some of these universities where, I mean, if, if Phil Knight miss spends 500 grand, whatever, you know, that's like like you
2: losing a $20 bill.
0: Yeah. I, I don't have the, I, I I honestly do not have the answer right now. I just, it's one of those things I almost have to see kind of play out for myself just because man, there's a, there's a lot of sides to this and it is, it is kind of complicated.
2: Yeah. (laughs) For sure. All right, we'll toss it off to, uh, to Caleb Grill. We'll talk to him uh, here on Corner 3 on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. All right, we're joined now on Corner 3 by Iowa State guard Caleb Grill. We're firing up the grill. What's up, man? Thanks for taking the time to, to join us here this afternoon. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Man, so what's been going on here over the last several weeks? Just uh, have you been able to keep busy? I'm, I know you guys are getting ready for the end of school. Uh, and all that stuff too
1: yeah you know just been working out and just trying to get better individually um, heading into next year um, we don't really have a bunch of guys to practice right now so we've been doing a lot of individual work and then you know school, school coming up um, we put a lot of focus on just trying to finish the semester strong because we missed um, a couple weeks of school there with the postseason play so how much school Caleb, what Oh, go ahead.
2: I would say, how much school do you have left after transferring twice? How, has that messed up your credits or anything like that? You're still on track to graduate on time?
1: Yeah, surprisingly, it hasn't messed it up at all. Um, I'm still planning on graduating in the fall next semester. So um, after that, um, I'll be
0: done with my undergrad, and then probably start a grad program. Nice. You know, what have the last few weeks been like, I mean, I, you know, obviously we as fans or people that cover the program, uh, you know, they we all have our take or our opinion or perspective of, you know, the, the, with the transfer portal and there's so much movement now, but talk about as a player, like what's that been like from the player experience and how have you kind of dealt with just whatever you've been doing, but I would assume trying to just keep your head down and stay focused on what the things you have control of.
1: Right. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we're all here just to play basketball because we love doing that. And, you know, I think people like me, um, it doesn't really bother us like uh, the money that's getting thrown out there because, you know, I'm at Iowa State because I love to be here. I'm not here or trying to transfer because I'm chasing money. Um, I'm here because, you know, I love being around Coach TJ and the staff and then I love Iowa State. So um, for me, it really hasn't been that big of a deal for me personally because I'm at the spot that I want to be at.
2: You obviously have a unique situation where you've played for two different coaching staffs across two different stints at Iowa State. I'm interested, what's what's the biggest difference now between the program that you're in at this point from where it was when you first got to Iowa State and then that one year you were here with Coach Prom?
1: Um, I just think the energy that Coach TJ brings is different than Coach Prome. I think uh, Coach Prome was a really good X's and O's guy and I think TJ is too. Um, I just think their biggest difference is, you know, TJ brings a lot of energy and really emphasizes a lot on the defensive end. Um, I don't think that's uh, what Prome's strong suit was. Um, You know, he was really good on offense, like I said, but, you know, just the intensity that TJ brings on the defensive end and just gets us, gets the best out of every single player that's on the team. I think it shows last year because everybody doubted us coming into the year and we obviously went to the sweet 16. So I think he does a really good job of getting uh, everybody's best out of
0: everybody you know, every day at practice and then every night on the court. Did you notice a difference in his approach or was there a difference in his approach playing for him at UNLV versus coming into Iowa State, new program, fresh start? Was there a difference uh, in how he approached that?
1: Um, There there was many similar things. I just think the players at Iowa State were more bought in to the program when, um, when I was here than we were at UNLV. Um, you know, we had a lot of experience, too. Um, I know we had a lot of new uh, incomers at UNLV, a lot of freshmen that came in uh, who were all really good players. Um, you know, I think it's just really hard for all freshmen, no matter what level you're going to, to adjust to the college-level game. And, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of older and, gra- um, I don't not, not grad transfers, but, like, senior senior transfers in like, Gabe Kausher and, like, Isaiah Brockington. And, you know, those two really, like, helped set the tone, like, this summer of how it was going to be. And then you had other players that were like me, Robert, Jazz, who were all just kind of, we were kind of like following along with them, you know, incoming transfers, you know, we kind of brought that same energy too. And then, you know, we wanted to change the culture of what it was like prior. So, you know, I give Isaiah and Gabe a lot of credit because, you know, I think those were the two who kind of set the standard at the beginning of summer. And that's kind of what it was throughout the whole year.
2: Do you feel a lot of pressure now to to be one of those guys who sets a standard going forward into next year? Obviously you're going to have, quite a few new guys, obviously a couple of new freshmen as well, you know, have to bring, right.
1: um, you know, I don't really feel the pressure of doing that. Um, I've obviously learned from two really good players and, you know, having Gabe around still has been helpful, you know, just learning from him, you know, he's just a terrific defender and, you know, we've been playing one-on-one pretty much every day. So just trying to learn from him. And uh, obviously I learned a lot from Isaiah too, on his leadership skills and what he brings to the table. So, I feel like I'm able to step up in that role with being here for a year and obviously being my third year playing for TJ. So, so yep, stepping into that role is something that I might have to do um, coming into this next season. You know, I'm just ready to get after it.
0: What are a couple of the things that you've kind of set aside for, or how I guess run me through the process of how you're approaching the off season. And, you know, you had a really nice year last year, but I'm sure, like every player, you know, you want to take on more responsibility, a bigger role next year. I think you're going to have a, an opportunity to do that. Like what, where's kind of your head at as far as your plan going into the spring and summer and things you want to kind of add to your personal game and, and, and kind of tackle and tacking onto Jared's question about, you know, things that you think you can bring to some of these other players when they start to get on campus, uh, kind of carrying the torch as far as being one of those upperclassmen that kind of shows them the, the way, the, the way under TJ.
1: Right. Um, uh... You know, last year, Isaiah um, had a huge part of our offense and Tyrese did. And with those two gone, um, you know, it just kind of opens up a door for me. And, you know, some of the things I've been really working on is uh, just kind of scoring off the bounce a little bit, attacking closeouts, hard and heavy closeouts and finding different ways to score. Because, you know, my role last year was knock down shots, you know, not turn the ball over on offense. And, you know, I just embraced it. Um, You know, many people could have complained about that, but you know, I just, I'm here to win, you know, just kind of do what I have to do to win. And, you know, just having a bigger role, um, working on stuff, maybe coming off sh- stagger screens or like working on like, ta- yeah, I, I said it already, but attacking closeouts and, you know, scoring more in the mid range or around that area than just on the three point line.
2: I'm interested, how much of an adjustment was it for you when you got to college and could focus on basketball all the time? And, and cause I know you were a, a at least a three sport athlete, right? And maybe did you play all four? Also, yeah, I, I
1: did. I played for my senior year. It's okay. kind of different than Iowa because we don't play baseball in the summer. We play oh, played right. Same with right. track. So um, it was actually kind of weird, though, um, putting all my time into basketball. Uh, it was actually kind of depressing at times, too, because you just want to go out there and play football or like be around a different group of guys, but you're around the same same group of guys all the time. But, you know, I've learned to like embrace it and just love being around it all the time. So um, I made huge strides after my freshman season. Um, it was hard my freshman year, um, obviously, first year in college. Um, I struggled a lot my freshman year, but, you know, going to UNLV, being with TJ, um, you know, he had a plan for me to um, where you can see my development plan going. And, you know, we've just been working on that the last two years. And I feel like this next year in year three is going to be my biggest jump yet.
2: I'm interested. Did you ever get recruited to do any of those other sports?
1: Mm, yeah, I've had, I had people reach out to me to do other sports, but, um, You're I wasn't in interested basketball. in really doing anything else. So yeah. I
2: just wanted to, you know, yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. Scott, you got anything? Could you still go out and you think, cause you were a quarterback, right? Yeah.
0: Could you, do you still got it? you think you, could you go out and, and run the practice squad at Iowa state, uh, on your off time, do you think, and still make it rain out there a little bit? Yeah, I bet
1: I could, um, I bet I could. I, I have the confidence in myself to do it. Um, it's kind of different, though, because it wasn't my main sport. But, like, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because you put all your time and energy into basketball, and that's what I did. But in football, like, I really excelled my senior year. And it was just like I never watched film. I never took any time extra off the field. I was just out there just, like, falling, you know. I wasn't really yeah. thinking about anything. And, it, you know, I just had a bunch of fun out there um, with a lot of my friends my senior year. So, um, you- honestly, yeah, I think I
0: could do it. Do you, uh, do you ever feel shortchanged a little bit? Cause I, I think as a, a guy, like you said, last year, your role was as a perimeter shooter. So you don't necessarily get to show off. I've seen you practice and seen you in warmups enough to know you can, you can fly. I think when you had your first dunk in a game on Twitter, at least it seemed like a lot of people were surprised and I was, you know, I was not cause I've seen you move around the court a little bit, but do you ever think you maybe get shortchanged a little bit on how good of an all around athlete you, you really are. Yeah, it's a possibility, but um,
1: obviously I don't like get up like Isaiah and some players like that, but um, you know, just because of my role of who I am, I think you can see it in different aspects too. Um, Obviously like on the defensive end, I feel like uh, I have really good instincts and I don't think people really understand that, but you know, just having a good instinct of like and predicting like where the ball is going to be. I feel like that's like, you know, has a lot of athleticism to do with it. I just don't think people really see me kind of like as a high riser. you know, just because I don't really have like many you know, of those opportunities like some other players do. All
2: right. I've got a couple kind of fun questions for you. The first one, Jazz threw down the gauntlet with you during his appearance on this <laughs> podcast and said that you have the worst music taste on the team. Uh, first of all, we'll give you the opportunity to respond to that. Do you, Do you have any thoughts on Jazz's thoughts on your – on your music sections?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, I don't have the worst music. I'm, um, you know, I like grow up with my dad, you know, we listen to Metallic all the time together and things like that. And, you know, just because like I don't listen to like the modern day stuff, I listen to kind of like old school stuff. I just don't understand like why people think that's such a bad way of listening to music, you know? I mean, everything that comes out now is just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just whatever to me. I don't. Really, I mean, I'm around it all the time at practice, you know, pregame and all that stuff like that. So like when I'm on my own time, I just kind of want to listen to stuff that's not really played that often. And, you know, stuff like that, like makes me happy because it just makes me think about being around my family too, because that's what we listen to when we're back home. So um, for me, it's kind of like a mental thing too, because it's
0: just like, that's just kind of like my happy place. He described you as the heavy metal guy. I know you mentioned Metallica, but is that, is that an accurate description or what is kind of your, the genre of music that or genres of music that you, you like? Uh,
1: I do like metal. Um, I don't know about like heavy, heavy, but like I'll listen to like metal, you know, like Metallica and stuff like that, like Pintera. But I don't know about like some of that stuff that's like super heavy, but you know, i listen okay. to like, you know, the hip hop rap with the guys and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> I hate R&B, though. R&B is
2: terrible. Um, <laughs> r and is awful. Like, yeah, it's, it's, that's the worst music, I think, is R&B. Oh, man. D- nobody tell Chris Williams because he thinks that Boys to Men 2 is the greatest album of all time. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something that's funny. Uh, all right. Besides uh, one of your teammates, who's the hardest player in the Big 12 to guard?
1: Um, who was the hardest player like this past season? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Ochai Abaji's like, I mean, he was obviously the player of the year, but he's just like, I, I admire his game so much because he never goes out there and does too much. Um, You know, he makes the winning plays all the time. And I think those are the hardest players to guard because um, you got guys like uh, Tash Sherman who go out there and he's like probably one of the best one on one players out there. But um Abaji was always making the right play for the right people. And those are the hardest people to guard because you never know what's coming. You know, you don't know if they're gonna pass, cut, shoot. Um I think he was probably the hardest player to guard in the Big Twelve. And you know, he's probably the best player in the country, in my opinion. But go ahead, Jared.
2: When you can score at all three levels like that, man, that it makes you a pretty tough, pretty tough cover. I think yeah, yeah. about anybody. If- yeah. Sure. All right. Go ahead, Scott.
0: Yeah. Who, uh, who, what was the toughest team for you guys in your opinion to match up with and play this year? Texas tech. No question. Um,
1: they're that, that's, that, that's the worst matchup for us. Um, you know, KU is the best team in the league, but like us going against Texas tech, it was the hardest team to go against. Um, their bigs were all super physical and athletic and that's how their guards played too. um, just their length and, You know their defensive mind on the on the uh, defensive end. Um, It was just so hard to score against them. I think we scored like 51 points the first time we played them, and they didn't even have Terrence Shannon or Kevin McCuller. Um, We went down there and it wasn't pretty. And then we played them in Kansas City and it wasn't pretty. Offensively, they're tough too because they they crash hard. They crash um, so many guys to the glass, and you know they're all very um, athletic, long, and. You know they're all all very big. They're they had a bunch of like twenty four and twenty five year olds I think. So they had like grown men on their team. We were playing like grown men all the time. It was just a really hard matchup for us.
2: Man, when we when uh, when you guys played them in Kansas City, I don't normally get to sit courtside, but I got I sat courtside for that one, and I was blown away by how big they are. Just like every guy on the team is huge. You know? Yeah, I
1: mean Kevin McCullough plays a point guard. He's like six six two ten.
2: Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's
1: bigger than, that's like, <laughs> I mean, that's like bigger than most of us. And we like to, and we like to pride ourselves on being physical and defense and we can't, we can't even match their physicality. I don't think no matter like how hard we play, unless, you know, it was just an off night for them and we were feeling really good. I think that's the only way we could have matched them this past season.
0: Yeah. And their rotations too. I mean, they weren't just big and athletic, but their rotations on defensively were so crisp and impressive. Yeah. I, I just... You know, you're watching and a lot of times I'm like, okay, you, you know, you can maybe attack here or attack there. And there's just, it didn't really look like against them. There was a lot of weak space to attack.
1: No, and it's not. And you have to make like the plays, like for them, you got to make it like right on time. Like for us, I mean, team like Duke, when I watch them play, they're all, they, they match up well with them because they're, they got six, eight, six, nine guards with them. And you know, they all big and athletic, just they, they match their athleticism and physicality, but uh, if you don't make, like, the right play at the right time, it's going to be hard to get a good good shot and have a good um, flowing offense against them.
2: What's your favorite sports team besides Iowa State? Mm, I would probably say the Chiefs.
1: Football, Kansas City Chiefs, yeah. Or okay. I like the I like Giannis. Like, I, I don't want to hop on, like, the Bucs bandwagon too much, but, like, I'm, like, a big Giannis fan, so, like, I like watching the Bucs.
2: Man, how do you feel about that Chiefs offense without Tyreek now? They're going to be all right? We'll we'll be, we'll be fine. Spoken like a true Chiefs fan. Spoken like a <laughs> true Chiefs fan.
1: well. I've been a Chiefs fan since I was so young. So it's been yeah. like it's been like fun the last couple of years. You know with Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, all them. So you know the days before we had Alex Smith, it was just so brutal. Like it was it was awful. But then you know once we got Andy Reid, you know he's turned the whole organization around. So I hope he
2: stays as long as long Man, as he can. Y- you mean you didn't enjoy the Brody Croyle and Tyler Thigpen days? Um, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, that's funny. Uh, what's your favorite place to eat? Names? Um, my favorite place to eat,
1: if it's like fast food, like I'll probably go to Culver's. Like, I never, there's no Culver's where I'm from. So, like, when I first got here, like, I thought it was like, uh, really good and I enjoy going there. But if it's like kind of like a sit down, like dine in, like I like to go to cornbread. Cornbread's
2: okay, good. man, what Jess- are you getting. Oh, go ahead. Jazz says he can't get a table at Cornbread, so you got you to gotta take him. Yeah, we'll go sometime. We'll go sometime. Yeah. He, he's <laughs> like, man, I always hear how good it is. I can't get a table. And I was like, well, I think I, I think we can probably figure that out after you do this podcast.
1: Well, I mean, there might be like a 30-minute wait, but it's like, just go
0: to the bar and have a drink or something, you know? Yeah, that's now we're talking about speed. What were you going to say, Scott? <laughs> I was just going to ask you, what, what are you getting at Culver's and what are you getting at Cornbread?
1: At Culver's, I mean, it kind of sounds, I don't know, maybe too much, but I usually get, like, a triple burger with, like, a sh- large chocolate shake and fry, and then, like, a, a Cornbread, like, I like their burnt ends. Their burnt ends are really good. Um, their mac and
2: cheese is really good,
1: and I also like their sausage links.
2: They're good. Awesome. What's your favorite Big 12 road venue to play in? Mm,
1: I don't know. Uh,
2: I don't know. I like
1: – uh. Like, it might sound weird, but I like Oklahoma State just because of, like, how old it is. And, like, I like that arena a lot. Um, I would like – I like playing at uh, K-State and KU because it's close to home. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma is close to home. But, you know, probably the nicest arena. I, I like Texas Tech. Um, it's loud. It's, it's a really nice arena. And, yeah, I guess those are probably my favorites.
2: Man, I've never heard anybody say they liked playing at Oklahoma State, honestly. Really? Yeah, not that it's I can like remember. It's like old, and it's like the
1: ceiling's so high, and it's like a whole different layout when you play. It's like it's like different than any other arena because it's so like steep and narrow, and like most arenas are pretty much all the same. But like that
0: one's just like it's way different than every arena. So I like it. You didn't like playing there, did you, Scott? Haven't
2: we talked about that? Before? I hated
0: playing. I I hated playing at Oklahoma State. Um, I hated the cowboy that shot the gun off. <laughs> I just thought the the fans and then the. the was it Travis Ford? That was his name. You know, he yeah. would kind of be talking uh, talking throughout the game to, to pl- different players at times, and uh, I never played well there, which was probably also another reason I didn't like playing there. But I was going to ask you, is there a place you, you've you not liked playing or you, you have a disdain for? Uh, Texas
1: and Oklahoma are probably the two worst. I mean, they're leaving the Big 12, too, next year or two. but Texas has their new arena this year, so. Yeah, that is true. I'm excited to see how that is, but. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't like my first two years, uh, I guess my freshman year and last year, I would say like those were two of my least favorite places to play at. They're just dead. I mean, you expect like Oklahoma and Texas, like they're like kind of like the faces of the big 12. And it's just like, kind of like a letdown when you go there and there's nobody there. Who's the best trash talker on the team? Who's the best trash talker? I don't know. I'd probably say Isaiah and he doesn't even say anything too. He just looks at you the whole time. Like, I think, like, that's, like, for me, I feel like that would be, like, more intimidating, just a guy, like, getting buckets on you and he just looks at you the whole time. I don't know. Like, doesn't say one word to you, but
2: I don't know. Love it, man. All right, Caleb, we appreciate you taking the time. We'll uh, catch up with you uh, again down the road, and we look forward to watching you play next season again. All
1: right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.